This podcast contains mature content, including, but not limited to, profanity, sex, nudity, uh, wait, what? And the occasional spoiler. Oh, no. This episode contains content that may be triggering to some of our listeners. Please check the episode description for more information. Hey, Becky! Joseph, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing. You're doing? I'm doing. I'm doing. That's all we can do. (laughs) (laughs) I like that I just went from like massively Italian Mario to like some Jersey girl. We're doing, you know? (laughs) If you got them, you know, (laughs) throw them in the pot. Joe, you ready to talk about a book? I am ready to talk about a book. What book are we talking about? Today, we are going to talk about I Kissed Shara Wheeler by Casey McQuiston. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. This is Casey McQuiston's first romp into young adults. Yes. You know, the last two books she places, I think she calls it new adult. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is her first foray into YA. (laughs) And, uh, and, and it's good to read Casey McQuiston again, you know, because it's been a minute. Yeah. It has been a minute. And bonus, we got Natalie Nottis. As audiobook narrator. See, you have Joel Leslie. I have Natalie Nottis. (laughs) Yes, you do. And I will say, I believe she is now my favorite female narrator. It's because she's the best. She is very, very good. In fact, she is not only an audiobook performer with over 250 books to her credit, Mm -hmm. but she has won several earphone awards. And guess what the first one was for? Uh, One last stop. Uh, Yes. Which she also read. And I was like, that's why I know that voice. Yeah. I love it. And did you know that she's also a classically trained opera singer? I did know that because I've been following her on social media for a while. Okay. But well, that's fine. That's so cool. I loved hearing her interpretation of the book, and it's very, very good. So if you do listen to it, you're in for a lovely performance by Natalie Nottis. And I'll say this. If you listen to any kind of queer female books, you've heard her. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What Joe Leslie is to gay romance. She is to young adult or just mainstream queer female. Yeah. She also read that book, Fiona and Jane. She also did She Became the Sun, which I'm yes. the way through. And my God, that is an amazing book and an amazing performance. She's kicking ass and I cannot wait to finish it. That is on my list. I am looking forward to one of these days tackling that mm. sucker. It's a big one. It'll mm-hmm. take a while, but it is definitely worth a read. So She mm-hmm. Who Became the Sun, pick it up, listen to it. It's awesome. Yay. So good. Ringing endorsement. Between Casey and Natalie, I was so pumped for this book. I could not wait. And um, I am really excited to talk to you about it. Yay. You want to give us a little synopsis? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So we're talking about Shara Wheeler today. Shara Wheeler is the it girl 
at her private Christian school in Alabama. She's the daughter of the principal, the homecoming queen, like the picture perfect young Christian leadership Stuco type thing. And, you know, <laughs> all around, just like, you know, you're really good blonde Southern Belle type person. <laughs> and she's generally liked by everyone, but no one has seen her since she straight up dipped at the prom 12 hours ago. Yeah. Uh, prom gone. and done. Yep. <laughs> After prom, three of her classmates encounter one another in Shara's bedroom. They're all there to confront her, but instead of confronting her, they find themselves at the beginning of a wild goose chase to track down and confront Shara. Mm. These three that show up are quite possibly the most unlikely trio in the entire school to have started this first to arrive we have chloe green who is the academic decathlon type student in a neck-on-neck race with shara for the title of valedictorian then comes rory who is shara's neighbor he's the cute little alt boy in the grade that (laughs) everyone secretly digs on and then there's her quarterback boyfriend smith 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 of Of course smith is a quarterback right (laughs) so the only thing that any of these people have in common aside from going to the same school is that they have kissed shara wheeler starting in the bedroom they are led through a series of clues to different places where shara deemed significant to at least one or more of the trio Mm-hmm. As they get closer and closer to determining where the hell this girl has gone to, the clues become a bit more personal. The pursuit of Shara becomes this like all-consuming thing to Chloe, and mm-hmm. she starts to lose focus on everything in her personal life from friends and families and academics, everything. It all falls apart. Mm-hmm. And it all is focusing on this giant secret that Shara has. And it becomes this thing that just dominates all of their lives until the boys are just like, I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) Bitch can stay gone. (laughs) (laughs) But the book is about the pursuit of Shara, who essentially wants to be found, but doesn't want to be found. And the, the journey that they're led on to find this completely morally gray character of Mm-hmm. This book could also be aptly titled Shara Wheeler Screwed With Me. Oh my God. <laughs> Shara Wheeler totally fucked up my life this Because that's yeah. what she's doing, you know? And you get to yeah. the point where it's like, okay, this is on purpose, clearly. It's a journey. <laughs> Who would you like to start with, Joe? Well, I think we should start with Chloe. I was watching an interview that Casey McQuiston did with Becky Albertalli. And Casey said, Chloe is her love letter to annoying girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, because she was like, I look back at myself when I was a teenager and I'm annoyed with me, you know? And <laughs> she says, teenagers are just going to be annoying and you have to let them be annoying because they're just annoying. And Chloe is the personification of that, yes. you know? She's got a lot in her, you know, she's so ambitious and so driven. And this rivalry between her and Shara just fuels her until she just becomes unraveled, you know? I saw Chloe's character compared to Leah Michelle's character in Glee. 
She's very much a Rachel Berry. Yeah. Yeah. She is a hundred percent a Rachel Berry. It's uh-huh. like that. Anything you can do, I can do better. No, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Shara saying it in Chloe's in the background going, no, you can't. <laughs> I don't think I could be friends with Chloe Green. Chloe's work. Chloe cares too much <laughs> yeah, about yeah. specific things. Being friends with Chloe, I think would be hard work. I think it could be rewarding, but it's it's definitely work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So Chloe is a transplant. She's not originally from Alabama. She is from California and she has been moved to Alabama by her mothers who have deemed it academically appropriate for her to attend a Christian private school and get a better chance of getting into a very nice college. Yes. And the reason that they're back in the first place is to take care of Chloe's grandma because she was ill and passed away. And so they had moved because they wanted to take care of her. So, you know, go from California to Alabama and it's like oh fuck yeah if we can make it through this whole podcast without saying roll tide like ironically (laughs) you know and I really appreciate and I think I told you this earlier but when I started the book the first thing that Natalie says she gives a trigger warning for religious trauma Mm -hmm. and I just appreciated that so much because coming from you know a little Oklahoma town like I did growing up in a atmosphere that was so um oppressively Christian oppressive and forcefully Christian yes. um you know I, it, sometimes this subject matter is very hard for me to listen to as I know you have a very similar experience to mine it's something we share we share in mm-hmm. common I very much appreciated that trigger warning right off the bat. Oh, yeah. It was a necessary trigger warning. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, I I, I wasn't as triggered as I thought I would be. And I think it's because the story was a lighter story. It helps that her parents aren't part of the problem. Yes. Oh, that is a huge part. I think if the story were told from Shara's point of view, we would have that issue, Mm -hmm. like more predominantly. Yes. But the fact that it's told from the Chloe's point of view and Chloe has so much support from her moms and they're on the more, um, what did they say? Uh, Jesus is the brown human socialist end of Christianity. <laughs> yeah. That really helped. I too was raised in the South and I actually attended a private Christian high school. Me too. After being homeschooled. Well, I wasn't homeschooled. They homeschooled me for a year and they were like, nope. And they <laughs> put me back into school where I was traumatized. Yeah, right? No, there's no trauma with that. Whatever. Both Joe and I were raised in very Christian atmospheres. Mm-hmm. My parents were very integrated into our church. Um, my dad played in the band. My mom did the deaf interpretation for our huge congregation. And my dad traveled with an independent worship leader, traveled around the globe doing <laughs> that on a regular basis. That's hilarious. Because <laughs> I know who that is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of people out there <laughs> recovering fundamentalist children know who it would be. Hey. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're not dropping any hints here <laughs> sorry that's good 
So to come at this book and see the religious trauma um, warning at the front of the book, I was like, oh, hell. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is going to suck. But no, you're right. It was handled really well. And it was very respectfully done whenever religion was brought up. At one point, Shara says something along the lines of, the God I know isn't the God these people know. Yeah. And I liked that. And she's driven enough that she says at one point she can deal with the Jesus stuff mm-hmm. as long as she, the school can help her get to where she wants to be and help her reach her goals. Yeah. Chloe's totally okay with it. She's like, you know, it is what it is. I'm not going to participate. Um, and at one point, you know, she, towards the end of the book, it says she whispers her first prayer since coming to the school mm-hmm. and it's her senior year. And it wasn't even a prayer to anyone in specific. It was just a oh dear god (laughs) let this go well (laughs) type thing Uh so no religion is definitely a topic because it affects everything they do at this school Mm -hmm. it affects the way that females are treated in the school which i ran into a lot at my private christian school it was the females were not given the benefit of the doubt whereas the males were always given the benefit of the doubt. And we see that a couple of times in this story where people like Smith, who's the star quarterback, can get away with things that Chloe or Summer or um, Georgia absolutely Mm -hmm. could not get away with. So yeah, they have things like Bible class, which, you know, was a required class every year at my, at my school, you had Mm -hmm. your own level of Bible. And then we had chapel two days a week. We had it on Monday and Wednesdays. We only had it on Wednesdays, but you did have to dress up. So all the girls had to wear skirts or dresses and the guys Mm -hmm. had to wear a tie um, and slacks. So, yeah. Yeah. We could only change out of skirts um, if it was below freezing. So believe me, I was up on the phone calling the time and temperature to see if it was below freezing. So I didn't have to wear a fucking skirt to school because skirts make you holy. Apparently, Apparently, it makes your home more accessible anyway. Well, so did they send you home if your skirt was above four inches or if your skirt was four inches above the knee? No, there were no above the knee skirts allowed. Thankfully, it was the time of peasant skirts. So those were cute. (laughs) And if you didn't have a skirt that matched a dress code, they had some in the office for you. Oh, holy shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is totally off topic, but I remember one week a boy got in trouble because his undershirt had a pinup girl on it. And you could see the pinup girl through his suit shirt and they made him throw away his pinup girl t-shirt and wear a shirt with the school's logo and emblem on it. So you can see the school's logo and emblem through the shirt, but you can't see the pinup girl. Fuck off. I know. They got away with that. I know. That makes me more angry than the book. (laughs) We could do a whole podcast on how stupid my school was. We really could. (laughs) There were things in the book that were just like, (gasps) I remember that. Mm-hmm. At one point, she said that the the principal, who happens to be Shara's dad, is his only purpose for existing really is cutting the arts budget and misinterpreting the Bible. the Bible. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I think that was my principal too. Yeah. How Chloe, this bisexual little butterfly, thrives in this um, setting, I can understand because private schools are often academically very competitive, but 
Yeah. As also a bi butterfly <laughs> in a <laughs> private Christian school, it was very, um, I didn't like myself for a very long period of time. It's very shame written the mm-hmm. entire time I was there to the point yeah. I was denying everything. So mm-hmm. the fact that Chloe was able to make it through without that just really speaks to, I think the support she had at home. Yeah. And she had the perfect carrot dangling at the end of the stick in the prize of valedictorian. Oh yeah. You know, and like kicking Shara Whaler's ass. Absolutely. Like, that's the absolute goal. And, well, and she's so smart. The bitch got a 35 on her ACT. I know. And I didn't say this, but she probably wasn't satisfied with it either. No, probably not. No. Yeah. But she probably uh, like got double 1400 on her ACT. <laughs> she's like, screw it. But then I'd want to kick Charles Wheeler's ass too, because bitch is annoying. Like everyone loves oh, her yeah. and all this stuff. No, she's the exact type of person that I would find annoying as hell. We all had a Shara Wheeler. I had a Shara Wheeler. Her name was Lori. Did you have a Shara Wheeler? My Shara Wheeler was a guy. I had a male Shara. Okay. Yeah. The whole time I was reading it, I was like, I didn't have anyone like this. And then I stopped and I thought, <gasps> there was a blonde girl. <laughs> who dated the quarterback through all of high school was always homecoming uh-huh. queen got amazing grades like was head of the student religious chaplain society took latin for all i mean shut the fuck down right. <laughs> <laughs> well and everything seems to be so effortless for her yeah, you know, I mean, they do that. They just, do that. She's just so smart and really keeps Chloe on her toes. Mm-hmm. And Chloe, in one scene, she's actually struggling to figure something out in some science class. And Shara is like, hey, how do you do this? And then Chloe realizes, bitch already knows she wants, she's testing me. Yeah, she's playing me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So let's talk about Shara since we're already there. We're already there. Yeah. She's beautiful. She's smart. She has perfect hair, perfect teeth, perfect perfect life. Everything. Her yeah. parents have money. They have, you know, so many things. She's the prom queen. She's the homecoming queen. She's, you know, head of Stuco. She's academic top dog number one. Everyone mm-hmm. loves her. Everyone. There's stories from all the grades of someone who was like, oh, Shara Wheeler touched me once. You know, it's this holy thing when Shara is around. Uh-huh. Chloe's like her single hater. Right. You Everyone know? else just thinks she walks on water. That's a lonely dinghy to be in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Chloe's friends are like, oh, Shara's this. Oh, she's amazing. And it's like, Chloe's the only one. That can see mm-hmm. it for what it is. Um, yeah. yeah, she's a conceited little piece of work. And may I just say, I don't think Casey has written a more manipulative character. Yeah, and she's going to be hard pressed to s- or pass Shara. Yeah. And you would think that with all like the pol- political things in Red, White, and Royal Blue, and the Queen, I mean, the Queen was even very manipulative mm-hmm. in Red, White, and Royal Blue. Shara wins. <laughs> no kidding. I do have to say, I found myself saying, Shara's not smart enough to pull this off. This is way too elaborate. So the scavenger yeah. hunt that she has put together for them in the form of these little pink notes, she leaves them all these different places. And the whole thing is so planned out down to like 
the second, you know, it's like, how could you possibly predict this? She leaves a note in a piano at school, hoping that Chloe will be like, oh, the piano sounds funny and open it up and see the note. You know, she leaves a, uh, a letter at some dude's house on the chance that they'll go to this party. Mm-hmm. And she's just assuming that they're just going to all figure this out. So Chloe's best friend, Georgia, her family owns a bookstore and Chloe goes in there all the time to hang out, read. And she's talking to Georgia and she knows that Shara had gone to the bookstore because like, didn't she purchase a copy of Emma or something? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden she gets an idea and she's like, this wasn't mentioned in the clue, but I wonder if she just left me a note. And so she goes over to like the Jane Austen shelf, starts going through the titles. And finally, in, uh, in the one that I don't even remember. Mansfield Park. Mansfield Park. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care for that story. No one did. That's why they put it in Mansfield <laughs> why they Park. Put it in, they... It's not moving. Yeah. <laughs> There's not just a note or a clue. There is a letter. And from this letter... Chloe deduces, oh my God, Shara's in love with me. (laughs) That's why she's doing all of this. It couldn't be about the valedictorian race. It couldn't be anything else. It's just, she loves me. At that moment, I was like, oh girl. I know. (laughs) You gonna get your ass handed to you. (laughs) It was a very YA reaction. Uh I just... (laughs) Like, I feel like even Alex would have been like, oh, no, Chloe. (laughs) (laughs) Chloe, no. No. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, if Alex is picking up on it, Chloe is. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Not the brightest crayon in the box. They end up like breaking into the school and crawling through air ducts and breaking into the principal wheeler's office you know the whole thing is so elaborate there's no way this bitch as as smart as she is could have pulled off this it was entertaining to read but the suspension of belief got to be a little tricky sometimes well and the fact that she thought that they would automatically know what she's talking about with the clues i mean at one point they have to break into shara's dad's office Mm -hmm. And go through the personal files of students to find some more information. I'm like, no, the note through the Taco Bell drive through the uh-huh. note in the piano. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> At one point they acknowledged this, but this entire storyline was essentially two John Green books put together. Yeah. Casey was saying that it's described as like paper towns meets saved meets something else i forget what the other one was but yeah paper towns and looking for alaska just okay with a dash of glee thrown in in my (laughs) (laughs) i mean i was sitting there going this is almost exactly what they did in paper towns a couple of times and sure wheeler is has total alaska vibes well and i was actually thinking of 13 reasons why it's a little bit like i've not read any of those i vaguely know the premise but that's what Mm -hmm. i was thinking of during the scavenger hunt scenes so paper towns is about a girl who just disappears Uh and leaves clues and they find her in this little 
shack outside of some town that doesn't really exist. It was on a map at one point, but it doesn't exist. And they just find her. She's just out there living. First, Hmm. they go on all these wild goose chases. They go up water towers. They egg people's homes. They do fun, like memory building things. And then the character just disappears and you're left to find them. It was very true that it was John Mm Green-esque. The token minority kids who are best friends with the, the main white character and... The only thing difference was, honestly, was that it was queer. But yeah, it was very reminiscent of John Green. Yeah. Well, I really found myself enjoying this colorful cast of characters. By the end of the book, I was like, oh, I'm going to miss them. (laughs) And I really, really like Rory and Smith. Mm. And by, like, I was halfway through the book and I was shipping them. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, be a a s'mori. (laughs) (laughs) so rory is her next door neighbor he's a good looking black kid he plays the guitar and he's kind of angsty but he used to be best friends with smith in middle school and smith is the quarterback sports yay guy when they got to high school he started dating shara and rory felt like He lost a friend Mm. and both of these characters go through a sexual identity revelation, a realization. Yeah. 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 You know, you get the sense, okay, something is not as it seems here and you get that pretty early on. Yeah. It's subtle, but it's big, big, subtle, you know, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And so you think, okay, there are some sort of conglomeration of feelings here. Yeah that one or both of you are experiencing for the other one. Yeah. It's really interesting how they both sort of channeled their feelings for each other into Shara. And that just becomes the lightning rod. And, you know, they have a talk and it's like, what happened to us? Why Mm. are we like this? And, (laughs) and, And Rory's like, well, you ditched me. And Smith is like, that's not what happened. Yeah. And they just had two completely different perspectives of what went down in their friendship and their relationship with Shara, because Rory was like, I'm crushing on Shara. I've always had a crush on Shara. No, you had a crush on Smith and you transferred that to Shara, you know. Smith was in the proximity. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Shara got some crush thrown on her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the reasons that Smith starts dating Shara in the first place is because she's Rory's neighbor. And he wants him nearby. And every time he sees them, Rory sees them from across the street, that jealousy boils over and he doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. He's on the outside looking in. I kept thinking, I absolutely loathe this artist, but I kept thinking of that Taylor Swift song where she's like, in the window, from the window. You belong with me, I think. I have no clue. Yeah, I just remember seeing the music video and thinking, oh, that's kind of a Rory Smith situation. I I thought the exact same thing. (laughs) Rory's a really sweet kiddo. Then we have Smith, who is a very gifted football player. He's a quarterback. And basically the whole reason he's at the school is that it funnels directly into the SEC. And he wants to go to Bama and play football. So he's looking to be recruited. So he has this profile he has to maintain. 
his records are on ESPN. He's being scouted at every turn. Everything he does is under the microscope. And all of this, the whole mm -hmm. reason he's even started dating Shara and being a part of that social scene is to get to collegiate football. Through all of this, he has started to deny mm -hmm. any kind of inkling that would be not acceptable for a collegiate football player. I don't even know that he's ever thought about it. I think he has. So Chloe comes up mm. to his locker at one point and he moves back hair ties and lip gloss or moisturizer. Two, I don't remember that. Two more feminine products that you really wouldn't expect to find in a quarterback's locker. As the book progresses, he becomes more and more comfortable with realizing that things are just things and they don't hold gender. Mm -hmm. So nail polish is just nail polish. And if you associate that with a gender, that's on you, but nail polish doesn't have a gender. So if you want to wear nail polish, wear fucking nail polish. Mm -hmm. And it, he kind of becomes more and more comfortable with the association of, no, this is just what I want to do. Less this is about gendered items. Yeah. He becomes more comfortable with the thought of gender fluidity than at the very beginning of the book. And it's a really interesting journey to watch him go on because at the end of the story, he's not fully there yet, but you can tell he's so much more comfortable than where he had been in the beginning. He is very much on his way. So it's really cool to see that progression happen. So does the book actually say non-binary or does it say gender fluid or when it, when it comes to Smith? I don't know that they specifically addressed the the title i think fluidity was more described because i had non-binary in my head the entire time and i had a very specific feeling about something but now i'm like well maybe that wasn't the case i don't know so well at one point he speaks to a non-binary friend in their group right Smith and this friend spend time together and they talk about what it feels like to be non-binary. And that's actually a really cool scene. Yeah. So Chloe is into theater and she was in the mm -hmm. senior musical and they have this party at the end of every year. And the tradition is that they all get dressed up. Boys will dress up as the girl characters and the girls will dress up as the boy characters. And the musical they did was Phantom. Chloe's dressed up like the Phantom. And that's when Smith meets Ash, who is their non-binary friend. So Smith sits down and he asks Ash some questions about being non-binary and they start to have a conversation. And that kind of sets the course for his identity journey yes. that he goes on. And the thing that I found to be really powerful is that in Casey's last two books, we get a lot of queer representation, but this is the first time that she is very prominently not only representing the non-binary community, but she's representing herself. Mm. That really, really struck a chord with me. And I found that to be a very powerful moment because this is the first time that I feel she has truly given herself major representation in her work. Mm -hmm. I thought, man, that's really important. And I think that that makes this book stand out a little to me in that respect because of what it represents, 
not only for the non-binary community, but for Casey, that hit me. I don't know. I had to stop a little bit and think about it and have myself a little moment. I just was moved by that. And I, that's one of the reasons that I ended up um, bumping up my rating a bit. Oh, okay. I can see how that would that would play into it. Yeah. I, I was just very kind of taken by surprise by how that impacted me and the way that I thought about the book as a whole. Yeah. And especially with Smith beginning to embrace his own identity, that really brought it home for me. Yeah. And I really thought that was something special about this book. I'll be honest with you. I was more interested in the Rory Smith storyline than the Chloe Shara storyline. Same. Like, pretty much the entire time. I was like, can you stop talking? Where's Rory? I need Rory. What's Rory? Doing? Yes. It's like, let's get back to the boys. I don't know what it is. I just, let's talk about morally gray characters. Okay. Shara Wheeler is probably the most morally gray character I have read in a while. Mm -hmm. I think where this storyline went off for me was when they started to try to justify Shara's morally gray characteristics. Mm -hmm. She's a manipulative person. She always has been, always will be. She does things her way, always has, always will. Instead of just coming straight out and saying, hey, this would be a good idea. She twists things and makes people do things that she finds more appropriate. Mm -hmm. the whole Smith and Rory thing is one of them. Like, instead of just coming straight out and saying, Hey, you two should be friends again. Let's sit down and talk this out. She leads them on this wild goose chase and she disappears. Like that's so fucking melodramatic. Like uh -huh. why the hell bother with that? If the point of this was just to get them back together, uh -huh. just sit down with them and say, Hey, we're going to talk. My problem with the book was basically that she does all this shit for the first 75% of the book. She has made Chloe start to miss assignments and Chloe's grades are dropping mm -hmm. and she's distracting everyone and she has turned their lives completely upside down. And then she just shows up and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then she starts to try and do things to repair her image or repair the damage that she's done. And I'm sitting here going, no, 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 no. If you're writing a villain, write a villain. If you're writing a morally gray character, stick with that. Don't try to justify their behavior. They are who they are. And the justification for it was that she was causing chaos because she was experiencing chaos because she didn't understand her sexuality. I understand that on a very personal level, but also Shara's just a shitwad. <laughs> what did I call her? Let's see if I can find that in my notes. Like, don't try to make me like this person and justify their manipulation throughout this whole thing by at the end making her be all like, oh, I just always kind of secretly knew I was queer. Mm -hmm. Now, early on, probably in the first few chapters, I said, I'm starting to think that Shara Wheeler is evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Casey gave me what so many authors and what so many like writers of television or queer books never give me. And that's the I'm going to I'm going to punch you moment. Mm. Casey gave us that when I feel a lot like, of them. <laughs> right. I feel that personally, I'm denied that all the time because a lot of the characters that I read that I'm angry for, they just take it. And they're like, they, they wanted to speak up, but they just didn't know what to say. Mm. And so my favorite scene is when 
Chloe finally puts the clues together and she's like, she's on the fucking boat. Mm. Bitches on that motherfucking boat. And <laughs> so Chloe gets in her car and she drives to the damn boat. And there's Shara in her little prom dress. Oh, and I was oh, like, oh, she how is fucking not. melodramatic. Are we? I know. Oh, my God. God. Oh, what are you? The lady of fucking shallot. <laughs> God. Anyway, so I was like, oh, I'm and uh, uh, this is another note that I made. I think I'm about to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was like, this is the scene where Chloe is going to make her what she thinks is a checkmate move. Mm -hmm. And Shara is going to be like, actually, here's your ass. So that happens, sort of. Yeah. Then she gets the drop on Shara. And she's like, no, no, no. I think I'm right. You do want me. What are you going to do when I come in like this? for a kiss and i was like oh this is the title not shara kissing her it's her kissing shara and yeah. so she kisses her and she's like meh but she's like i am so glad i'm not in love with you and then shara starts to have this many freak out and chloe's like you know what and she shoves her and pushes her over the guardrail and into the lake and i'm like i screamed honestly i was like yes <laughs> Because I, uh, it was so cathartic for me because I had this sort of pent up anger, yeah, in solidarity to Chloe. Because I was like, this bitch making me crazy. And so to have an author give me that moment because I'm like the type of person that would say, here's what I would do, mm. and then the author doesn't do anything like that, and they just let the character, you know, stay a simp or something. Yeah, I'd be like, no, I'd push the bitch off the boat. Yeah. And she did, and it made me incredibly happy deep down inside. That's where I think it's a true Casey McQuiston moment. Casey has so much truth in a lot of her characters. They're very well thought out characters. She's in a genre beyond new adult or YA just because of how well developed her characters are. Mm -hmm. We said this, I think, in one last stop. You could take any of these characters and write a full novel about them very easily. Oh, yeah. But I think that's one of the things that Casey does really well is that she brings reality into her characters. Pushing her over the rail was totally something that Jane or Alex would have done. They both have that, okay, yeah, you've hit your limit. You're being a dickwad. Mm -hmm. Over you go moment. It was a really refreshing moment. I too was very like, oh, thank God. Thank God the bitch got it. Just because you want to do that from just pretty much the first moment you hear anything about Shara. Oh, yeah. I think where for me it went wrong is when they were trying to justify the behavior and turn her into a love interest. I'd been like, no, I think this for me would have been more successful if she had just stayed villainous or morally questionable. Been like, okay, no, I'm going to crush you like an ant now. Their relationship didn't resonate with me. It was the relationship between Rory and Smith that would have been satisfactory enough for me and then give Chloe the valedictorian and then fuck off Shara. I yeah. don't ever care to see you again. Perfect. It didn't kill the story for me, but mm -hmm. I do know that previously in the book, when Chloe genuinely is like, she's in love with me. Ew. That I found very satisfying because I was like, good, mm -hmm. I'm glad she's not being some little weakling. It's like, oh, she actually 
likes me and yeah. go all Sally Field on Shara because very YA. Like, you know, it is very yeah. YA. And I'm glad that that trope wasn't played into because it made Chloe a more honest character. Mm. I liked that. Yeah. I think at the end of it, I was just so done with not knowing where people stood morally on a few aspects. And I was just like, okay, mm -hmm. tell me how the boys are doing and how Georgia and Summer are. And would the book be over? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the end of it, I was just like, I'm done. And another thing that I really satisfying is that Principal Wheeler gets his comeuppance. I find it satisfying. I find it highly improbable the way right. that it happened um but i find it very satisfying yes joe i re-listened to the last hour and a half of this book three times mm -hmm. three times i listened to it and i'm still sketchy on what happened i'm sketchy on why anyone forgave shara because why i don't think that Rory after being completely manipulated like that would have been like yeah it's okay she came over to my house we colored her hair and I drove her to school it's all fine that doesn't check out with me sure but seriously like three times <laughs> your lost face is really funny I don't understand everything I guess I don't know granted I've been through a lot this week and maybe my brain's not there it felt sort of teen movie to me yeah. You know, like a mean girls, mean girls are a, you know, 10 things I hate about you slash yes. she's all that vibe where they're like, oh, here's, you know, everything has come to a climax and an end. And now we're going to go off our separate ways. And this person goes to this school and this person goes to this school and this person goes to this fine. school and everything's yeah. fine. I will say, I will agree with you in that the book seemed quite scattered at mm. points because there are so many people and so many things happening that it was a little hard to keep everything straight in my head. Well, and I mean, at some point, like, I don't even remember who was Shara has just manipulated everyone and she's blackmailing people and um, she's threatening to tell on couples who have experienced mm -hmm. infidelity and things like that and does it anyway after they comply i think that's for me is where the morally gray aspect comes in i'm like okay this girl has done some serious shit and you can excuse a lot of stuff for trauma and being closeted you can excuse some things but at the core that's just who she is that is who shara wheeler is and trying to justify it and make her sweet and romantic and charming at the end of the book just didn't fly and I absolutely hate saying that about anything having to do with this author, but it did not turn over well for me. I just didn't care. Sure, sure. And you know what? I didn't even care about Chloe in the end either. You know, I understand not caring about Shara, but even Chloe, I was like, eh, whatever. I'm good. I was definitely more invested in Chloe, even though I often found myself wishing I were in a Rory Smith story. Mm -hmm. I was fully invested in Chloe and I was like, I'm going to be there until you're valedictorian. You know, mm. I'm in this journey now. I was interested. Now, she wasn't my favorite character, mm -hmm. but I was I was there for it. But I do agree that Char is problematic. Um, oh, yeah. And I don't think the relationship was necessary at all. Mm -mm. Chloe would have been, I think, a stronger character without it. Yes. I completely agree. If yeah. the relationship aspect hadn't been a part of it, I think this would have been a totally different, I don't even want to say this because it sounds super weird, but almost more like girl powery, like fuck you, you know, mm -hmm. type book. And hell, I'd have been here for that. 
that'd have been great. But again, it's not, not my story. I, I didn't write it. Mm-hmm. That's how it went. And honestly, I'm not sure that could have gotten published in a YA format. <laughs> I think you probably have to have some, some aspect of villain to lover romance type thing going on to get published. So I will say overall, it was great to have a new Casey McQuiston read. Always. You know, her voice comes through all the time. In fact, <laughs> at one point, her mom makes turducken <laughs> while her other mom is off somewhere. Chloe's like, the hell is that? <laughs> She's like, it's a turkey stuffed with a duck stuffed with a chicken. Later on in the book, Chloe has finally started to acknowledge that she has feelings for Charles, and they start to unpack everything that she's done. And like you said, she might have had good intentions and did all of these horrible things to whatever her intended end. Yeah. And in true Casey McQuiston form, she goes, oh, my God, I'm in love with the monster turducken. <laughs> That line and Jesus the Brown Socialist. Yeah. I mean. And Chloe's response when her mom is like, I'm making turducken. Chloe's like, you lost me at turd. (laughs) (laughs) I will say there was far less humor in this than I I had hoped for, or maybe it just didn't hit right with me, but it was so wonderful to have just those little zings of Casey McQuiston. Mm -hmm. Every now and then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was great to have her voice back again. Yeah, yeah. So overall, how do you think you would rate I Kiss Charles Wheeler? I give it two and a half. Okay. It could be pushed up to three if I needed to. Uh huh. (laughs) If someone was like kicking my shins, I'd be like, yeah, sure, it's a three. Do it for Um, Natalie. Do it for Natalie. (laughs) I would, I would absolutely. (laughs) Natalie gets the rest of the stars. That's just how it's going to work. It wasn't what I wanted. Sure. I probably could have expected to give it a lower rating just because of the genre that it's in. YA isn't my thing and mysteries aren't my thing. So for me, it was a two and a half. But I think that was more based upon the way that the storyline wound up going. Mm -hmm. And not my favorite Casey by far, but still still a gem in its own way. How about you? Um, I think I'm going to round up for two reasons. Thank you, Natalie. Yeah. Also, for the moment that I felt being moved by Casey writing her own representation. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that just really stayed with me. Just the idea of it. I enjoyed it more than you did. Mm -hmm. I had three and a half stars. And I'm going to bump it up to four just for those reasons. Although the book itself is a three and a half book. But my listening experience elevated it for me with listening to Natalie and then having that moment. So yeah, with this one, I'm kind of rating my, my whole experience more than just the book. So right. anyway, that's, that's where I'm at. So uh, let's say four turduckens. <laughs> <laughs> I give it two and a half pink envelopes. Oh, yeah. Or maybe, or maybe um, four rounds of what's that game they played um, uh, upside down margarita. Oh, that's another thing I didn't get. I was like, okay. <laughs> it was so dumb. So Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> at one point, they go to this party and the football players are all there and they play this game called, I don't know, Naked Margarita or something, something where like they pour tequila and mix or they make a margarita in your mouth and then they pick you up and they just throw you. And I don't know if the point is to like not 
spit any of it out or what but anyway they they get chloe and they toss her over on some pool inflatables and there she goes so maybe four rounds of naked margarita or whatever it is could you imagine leah michelle doing a scene like uh, that though like <laughs> Do you I'd know be, how many people would line up to throw her across the room? I'd be sneaking over there, popping the inflatables. You know, Beanie Goldstein's in the back just going, drop, drop her, her, drop her. her. <laughs> Hold her under the pool a little too Chris late. Colfer in the corner going. Amber Riley like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, just disintegrated. Sorry. That's, it's all good. It's all good, man. Oh. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, that was a journey. <laughs> Utter chaos. Utter chaos. Well, thank you for listening and being here while we talked about this <laughs> lovely book. Check us out on social media. We are on mm-hmm. Twitter, a gay a buy a book. TikTok, a gay a buy a book. Instagram, a gay a buy a book. You can always email us at a gay a buy a book at gmail.com. And don't forget our home site, anchor.fm forward slash a gay a buy a book. That's it. And guess what you can do on that? You can leave his voice comment. Yay. Voice comments. We always yes. enjoy getting those. Well, we have had a wonderful time with you today, and we look forward to coming at you next week with another hump day quickie becky i loved our last hump day quickie you know what <laughs> i know that the hump day quickies don't get as many listens as the like full-on episodes and i totally get that but i mean you're missing out if you can sit here and listen to us gab on for 45 minutes you can handle a 10 minute quickie well, come you, on you get They're the super real you get the utter <laughs> unjustified complete oh, chaos yes. That is the behind the scenes of whatever we do here. It's a lovely little gale time. <laughs> and plus, we will always announce the next week's read at the end of our Humpty Quickie. So if you want to read ahead of time so you're up to date on what we will be talking about the following week, make sure you check out yeah. Humpty Quickie. So we will talk to you then. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. A buying a book. Again, a buying a book.